Is there light at the end of the tunnel? In divorce, it doesn't feel like it sometimes. But yes, there is. How do I know? Zahara, the name given our guest today because of her shine, gives us inspiration to keep pushing forward despite the obstacles in the process. Welcome to an episode in our Girl, I've Been There Too series. This series profiles our sisters who have been where you are. They know the stress, pain, confusion, relief, anger, and everything in between that you are feeling about divorce because they've been there too. This is real life and real talk because sometimes that's what we really need. They are sharing their experiences so that you too will know that you are not alone, that your grown girl community is behind you, and that you're grown. You got this. I'm so glad you're able to join me today. For the sake of your privacy, we have agreed that you're going to remain anonymous for our discussion, but certainly that doesn't mean that you know you can't share um, your experience and your comfort level in the way that makes the most sense for you. And so with that, you know, I'd love for you to share with our listeners just a little bit about you. So as we go through, they do have some level of connection. So where you're from, maybe your background, education and profession, but more importantly, your favorite vacation spot. Ooh, okay. I like that. <laughs> So I am, um, I'm from the Chicago land area. I was born and raised in Chicago. I've been here all of my life. Um, and I currently reside in um, the southwestern suburb of Chicago. Nice. Mama three. Uh, I work in higher education. I hold a master's in education and a PhD in organizational leadership. So I have taught on the collegiate level, um, but currently work in higher ed administration. And uh, my favorite vacation spot, I would have to say is Aruba. Nice. You know, it's there right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I tell you when this weather starts turning, I, I am always thinking about you know, how can I chase the sun? Cause, oh, it, it's going to get uh, chilly faster than I want it to be. So, you know, I'm so glad that you've agreed to chat with us today because I know that there are so many listeners who really need to hear um, from somebody who has been there and by been there, meaning the experience of divorce, considering divorce, you referenced um, having children. So we'll get into that in, in a little bit but really having somebody who understands from a personal level what it looks like, what it feels like um, to be going through this process. But I'd like to start out by really kind of understanding, you know, prior to your own divorce, what was your experience or exposure to, you know, divorce as as a process or as, um, you know, even as a reference? Mm-hmm. But what was that experience for you or exposure? So honestly, I mean, I grew up in a two-parent home. My parents were married until my dad passed away uh, a few years ago, actually. So we're talking almost 50 years. Okay. Um, 
I can probably count on my hand the number of people in my family who have gotten a divorce. And I think it's only two. And those are like second generation, you know, um, in my family. So divorce was never an option in my family. And that was the way I was raised that you remain married until death do you part. Marriage is a partnership. So my whole idea or exposure of it was maybe perhaps um, dealing with uh, a few close friends who had gone through the process, but they didn't really talk about it much. I knew it was a very stressful time for them and it just seemed to drag out, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, and, and so there was a bit of fear on my part of going through the process, especially with having children. Okay. That makes sense. I think oftentimes our own experiences or exposure to things, you know, shape our reality. Right. And so for you not having, um, the experience or even the exposure, you came from, um, a household and background where your parents were married and you you were talking about how second generation divorces. And I would say culturally, I think there are so many of us, right. That that has been our experience that we just don't get divorced. Right. I, I can, I could probably count on two hands, um, family members who are quote separated and, and we're kind of living at, you know, separated, but, but never got divorced. And, and for a litany of reasons, but Mm -hmm. I think that just culturally the idea of of actually getting divorced just isn't something that we have that exposure to or experience with until kind of more recent years. But that's all the more reason why I think having these conversations is so important so that we really kind of bring forward the we are getting divorced. This is okay. And, and we have the ability to do things in a way that makes sense. That makes sense for us. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about, you know, going into, or, or the process, maybe having some fear and intrepidation, just seeing other friends going through. Can you mm-hmm. talk to us about, you know, when you realized this might be where I'm headed and, mm-hmm. you know, what that looked like for you, what that experience was and having that realization. Yeah, honestly, there were um, two different points in my marriage okay. where I thought this is not going to work. Okay. Um, the first was honestly, I think I knew before I got married that I shouldn't get married. Oh, Okay. Um, but I went through with it anyway, because there was a point in time in my life where I just wanted to please my parents. Sure. And I, I believe if I do the math correctly, I think (laughs) I may have been 24. Yeah. This year would have been my 20th year wedding anniversary. Okay. So I was 24 when I got married and there were some signs that I said, "Mm, this might not be a good idea. But my mom was just so into the wedding planning process and so excited about it. And I remember her saying to me, um, when I said to her, I don't know if this is something that I should go through right now. Okay. And I remember her saying, 
that it's better to have a man who loves you more than you love him. And you'll grow to love him even more as time goes on. Okay. And I thought then, as I think now, that that was the worst advice that my mother could have given me. <laughs> okay. Okay. They because, sometimes mothers try, right? And as a mother myself, I'm like, ooh, I, was that really the best thinking? Our heart yeah. is there, but sometimes yeah. it just doesn't, you know, do what it needs yeah. to do. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I went through with this marriage and, um, and I think by the time we got back from our honeymoon, as a matter of fact, so this was maybe two weeks in, <laughs> I kind of thought, no, this is not going to work, but maybe it's just me. Okay. I'm going to give it a chance because there were certain expectations that I had and that I expected from a husband okay. that unfortunately my ex-husband just didn't measure up to in terms of what I have been accustomed to, what I had seen in my own household in terms of how marriages and partnerships, you know, work. And um, so that was the first stage. So that was early on into our marriage. And then I well, thought, let me, okay. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this then. Did you guys do premarital counseling, any of the couples counseling. And I ask because we often have these feelings or thoughts in our head. Like, I just don't know, especially when wedding planning, right? Cause that it, it becomes just that train leaves the station and it's not coming back. But I'm just, I'm curious if during that time, while you were having these moments, you certainly, you know, talk to your mom, were you mm -hmm. guys in a space to talk to anybody else? We did not go through mar premarital counseling. Okay. Um, my ex-husband did not believe in counseling, okay. but I went through counseling okay. by myself okay. before we got married. <laughs> um, because actually when we got, when we got married, I was in my first year of law school okay. and I was working full time. So that's part of the reason why I thought, well, maybe it's just me. Sure. Because I got a you, lot going on. Law school is stressful enough. Mm -hmm. I'm working, I'm planning a wedding. Maybe it's just me, okay. you know? Yes. Um, and that's where my counseling session, you know, ended up like, you know, a genie. Well, you have a lot going on. Um, you you have a lot on your plate. So maybe you need to think about how you can shift, you know, some things off of your plate and focus on the relationship. As a result of that, I did not return to law school after I got married. Wow. Wow. So it really was more of a, how do I fix me? How do I adjust? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that this can work despite my, you know, hesitation, concern, and, and questioning myself, mm -hmm. everything outside externally is saying to me, nope, you've got a lot going on, lean into this. And so here you are, boom, you mm -hmm. get married. Now we're back from our honeymoon and reality sets in that we are now married and life is moving forward. Life is moving forward. So we know hindsight is 2020. Mm -hmm. 
you're in your first year of marriage, you're moving through it. Mm -hmm. Did the feeling of I'm just not happy or the I'm not fulfilled in this relationship kind of just go away, meaning you kind of buried it and said, let's just focus on other things. That's exactly what I did. Okay. I focused on other things. Okay. And those other things were, I want to be a mom. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So then that became my focus. Yes. Uh, You know, maybe um, if we have children, it'll fix the way I'm feeling I see. about this relationship because then I'll have something else to focus my attention on. Yes. Yes. And we all know that children, if anything, uh, really put a spotlight on yes. some of the stress and, and, and cracks because as much as we love them, right mm-hmm. there, there's a lot to, bringing a child into a relationship and, and into a marriage. Mm-hmm. So now we've got kids, things are what focused in the way of I'm focusing on, on the children and not on our relationship. Yes. Okay. Focusing on the children, not really concerning myself with what those issues were in the marriage. Um, because I don't have time because I have to take care of these children that we have because we had not one, we had two (laughs) at the same time. So focusing on that, um, but that just not addressing the issues just really made matters worse as the years went, went by. And by the time we got to a point where um, where I said we need to just pause and try to fix some things, he did agree to go to marital counseling. Okay. Um, and we had a unique situation where we had a male and a female therapist. Oh, wow. So I met with the male therapist, they were African-American um, therapists. And he met with the female therapist and then we would come together. Okay. I was open, you know, willing to go through the process because I'm a huge fan of counseling. And I, you know, in our community, you know, now folks are, you know, more open. Yes. But, you know, 20 years ago, no, that was not the case. And even prior to, and so it was, it was a bit of a challenge to get him to open up. Okay. Um, but a really huge issue in our marriage was the lack of communication in terms of just being open, honest, and transparent. Sure. You know, um, and functioning as if you have a partner. Yes. And not, you know, and that was not how our marriage was centered. It was um my ex-husband, he functioned as an individual. Well, and that was problematic. Yes. I mean, and that's the thing. I think people often think when you hear someone's getting a divorce or we're separating or there's a problem 
that it's automatically someone's having an affair or automatically, mm-hmm. you know, they're hiding money or so. Mm-hmm. And I would say in all of my time as litigating divorces, 100% of the time, the issues come down to lack of communication. Now, isn't to say that other things, right, um, right. are not also there, but mm-hmm. communication is always an mm-hmm. issue. And so it's so interesting when I hear the, we tried therapy, we tried, but even with that process and getting kind of a buy-in to the process and truly doing the work that is required in therapy, opening up, kind of moving through that space, that even with that, there were some things that were apparent that this isn't, this isn't going to move us in the direction that I'd like it to. Right. Would you say then after going through the therapy process, were you feeling more comfortable in the idea that it might be time and, and comfortable, not meaning that you were okay with it, but I think, you know, reality really kind of coming in, in saying this isn't changing despite kind of the work that we're trying to do or that I'm doing. Um, I would say that I was probably still in denial at that stage. Okay. Okay. Even through the therapy, I thought, um, I still thought that I needed to fix something about me. Okay. Surprisingly enough. Okay. And, and it, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that I confided, um, you know, it, into uh, family, sure. primarily my parents. Yep. And of course they, your parents see you in a different light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think some of the conversations, you know, weighed heavily on me in terms of kind of picking out what some people may characterize, categorize as maybe my flaws. Maybe I expect perfection out of other people, or you have these high standards Yes. where it's to me, I don't think that my standards are that high. Mm -hmm. I just have a level of expectation based upon my own experience and what I've seen and what I think a marriage should be. Gotcha. And I I think it's important when you're entering into a relationship, you have to have real conversations. Yes. Um, You also have to look at how that other person was raised and what type of family background, because that, that impact your, your relationship. And, and we came from totally different backgrounds. Okay. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier, you know, that there are some people in our community, probably from, you know, our parents' generation that are separated, but they still live together. Yes. Well, that's the case with my in-laws. Okay. That, and it wasn't spoken of. And I had no idea, like that was one of those unspoken, yes. you know, truths. Yes. And I had no idea, but it made so much sense later on, Yes, you know, um, 
And, and I now understand why my ex-husband kind of functioned the way he did because he hadn't seen what I would consider a, a good example of a marriage, of a partnership. Because if you live in a home with parents who are legally separated or divorced, right. but they're still living in the same house, yes, that's your level of normal. That is not normal to me, you know? So here's what's so interesting when we think about the idea of relationships and, and our own examples, mm-hmm. you were talking about your experience growing up. You're now married to someone who has a very different experience and how those experiences then impact right? So Mm -hmm. our upbringing and our experience and exposure to things impact our own relationship. I'm going to jump ahead to say, when we think about the idea of divorce and you having children, Mm -hmm. what kind of considerations did you have when thinking about what, what examples am I showing them or what do I want their kind of exposure and experience to be, because we know that many women stay under Mm -hmm. the, you know, this kind of what I'll call pressure of feeling like I'm going to stay in the relationship for my kids. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes we don't think about what real impact that has, not just today, but on their future relationships. So can you talk to us about your thoughts in that, given your experience with a spouse who in many ways sounds like had that kind of experience. And I, and honestly, that is the reason why I stayed as long as I did. Okay. was because I had the children. We had children. I didn't want them to grow up in a single parent home. Um, In fact, I would make a distinction between being a single mother and being a divorced mother. If anyone referred to me as a single mother, yes, I would immediately correct them and say, no, I am a divorced mother. Tell me uh, why that was important. That was important because for me, the idea of being a single mother was someone who was never married okay. to their children's father. Okay. So I felt like I needed to make sure that people were clear. I was married. Yes. Then I had children. Yes. Therefore, I am a divorced mother. I'm not. So I have always shunned that title when people have tried to refer to me as, oh, she's a single mom of three. And I'll say, no, I'm a divorced mom of three. I still say that to this day. And and my twins are 18 and my youngest (laughs) is 15. Um, But I stayed in that marriage probably, I will say about maybe four or five years longer than what I should have. Okay. There was a, there was a point where we were separated and I was, I said I was done. And I remember my mom saying to me, but you have three children. Okay. They don't need to grow up in a single parent home. And then he came back and he said, you know, let me prove to you, let's make this work. And so then said, okay. But the patterns started again. And then I got to the stage where I realized what my children were seeing were two people who were unhappy, who were miserable, um, 
the arguments, you know, because at some stage you're no longer arguing behind closed doors yes. because when you get to the point where you're so frustrated, then now it's just out in the open. So now I have children who are witnessing, you know, two people who are unhappy. Right. Now they don't have a great example of what a marriage should be because are they going to think that, well, well, you know, all you do when you're married is argue or you're not happy. And I remember when I got to the point where I said, enough is enough. I cannot do this. And it was my, my best friend who had just gone through a divorce, or maybe she was going through a divorce and her daughter and my youngest are the same age, they're three months apart. And I remember her saying to me that the younger your children are, the better off they will be if you get a divorce versus waiting until they're older. Okay. And when she said that, I kind of took that and that, you know, mulled it over. And I remember sitting down with my three children and I told them um, that I said, mommy and daddy are going to get a divorce because at the time he asked me if I wanted a divorce and I said, yes. Okay. He wasn't expecting me to say yes. And so I sat down with um, our children and I remember my um, daughter saying that, you know, I don't want to be a statistic. Okay. And she was eight. She said, I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be like my other friends at school. But if divorcing daddy means that you're going to stop crying and you're going to be happy, then get a divorce. Wow. And for me, that was the permission that I needed to go through with it. Because all of those years, I was staying in this marriage so that they can have two parents. Yep. And I was probably doing more damage, you know, for the sake of them having two parents, because what are their relationships going to be like? So, you know, as, as the custodial parent, I've talked to them about, you know, when you're in relationships, you know, make sure that you communicate, make sure you're open, upfront and honest. Like that's what I try to stress um, consistently with them. Because I do have concerns about whether they would want to get married or what that will look like for them. Like my daughters talk about all the time that they, they would love to get married. I always tell them, wait until you finished all of your degrees, right. live your life. Yes. Don't be in a rush to get married, you yeah. know? Yes. Um, and my son, he talks about what type of husband he's going to be. So clearly they have enough examples of people who are married that they seem to have a desire to have a family and be married, which is comforting for me because I would love for them to, you know, to have that experience. But, but for me, it's very important that they understand that communication is what's critical in their relationships. And I don't want the marriage with their dad and what happened to be um, a deterrent for them to have a healthy relationship. But, you know, I think that the fact that they were of an age where they could process what was going on, your mm-hmm. daughter expressed to you her own 
concern about, you know, as she put it, being a statistic. And I tell you, I think that is such a cultural thing for us where we are constantly, even at a young age, recognizing that, you know, there's all these statistics and stereotypes. And, and, and so those things impact us in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but that she had the wherewithal to own this, but I'll be okay. So long as you're okay, which mm-hmm. is so mature. And, you know, there are adults who, who don't have the ability to, to give voice to that and, and to really, um, be able to say, you know, I want better for you. But I think that as you were, you know, kind of talking about where they are now and talking about having um, relationships and and marriages, certainly down the road, what a gift it is for them to have seen you in a situation that they now recognize was not the best one for you, right? right? So I understand that oftentimes we stay in relationships because we're trying to do something for the kids. But really, if we think about on the other side, meaning I want them to be able to have happy, healthy relationships and know what that looks like and what it doesn't look like is Mm -hmm. it it really is. It it really is a gift. Mm -hmm. Um, So thank you certainly for sharing that piece of it, because we don't often hear about, um, you know, that thought process in how you made the decision and when the reality of the divorce is here, um, you know, what you did from there, putting the kids aside for a minute, Mm -hmm. you, you know, started out telling us that, you know, you're in higher education. And, and so clearly, you know, you have, um, degrees upon degrees, but tell me here you are, didn't go back to law school, have young kids in terms of marriage and marriage life, financial, um, differences between you and your husband, were there differences that would have been a concern at the time of of the divorce that might have influenced your timing of the decision? Hmm. Um, I think from a financial perspective, yes. Okay. Um, because during that time, I think, yeah, during that time, I think my ex-husband, he, he made, more than I did it wasn't necessarily I wouldn't say it was a significant um, difference but I had been off work a couple of years you know from having the children I had been on bed rest with the twins and you know there were just so many different things and I was more focused at that time where my children were still my priority and I, I think I kind of felt during that time that my working was just something to help supplement, Okay, you know? Um, and as a matter of fact, I, um, I went back to school to earn my PhD. So okay. I was for a point in time, 
a stay-at-home mom while I was working on my PhD and I was teaching part-time. So clearly yep. no insurance benefits, you yep. know, I was totally dependent yep. upon him. So I was not in a position okay. to make a decision to leave either. Yep. But when I made up in my mind that this is something that I needed to do, I was very intentional about where I applied for a position okay. in higher ed because I was thinking long-term. If I'm going to be uh, raising three children, right. I need to either work at an institution where I'll get a discount for them to go to school okay. or they can go to school for free. Like that was my frame of thinking. Okay. I knew how long I needed to work in the field okay. and it all kind of aligned perfectly where I had this plan. And so what I, what I do share with people is although, um, I had somewhat of a plan. I had uh, a plan for my divorce and not many people, I don't believe plan their divorce. We spend a lot of time planning our wedding. Yes. Yes. But we don't plan our divorce. And what I mean by that is I was intentional with trying to pay off my bills. Okay. So that I knew I'm going from two income or one and a half income yeah. household. to now it's just, my income, whatever that's going to be in this field, right? I need to make sure I'm not carrying the amount of debt, you know, right? Once I exit this relationship, yep. Um, so I work diligently trying to do that. Um, so I do think the timing and the financial situation definitely played a role, um, in my decision. Um, yeah, I, I think. People don't think about the idea of a plan in the way that they should. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes when you hear someone say divorce planning, it sounds in many respects like conniving or you're trying to do something underhanded. But here's the thing. You have to get organized. You have to have some plan. And it sounds like you recognize, okay, we're going from one household to two households. And it's not even, we're not even talking about the big things. We're talking about the little things. I need yeah. health insurance. I need to make sure that wherever I end up going, whether that's if I'm staying in our marital home or if I'm going to someplace else, how am I going to be able to manage the cost and, and fees associated? And mm -hmm. I think what people fall into this trap of, well, I'll get some sort of, you know, child support or I'll get maintenance. And I caution people from relying on that for two reasons. One, laws change all the time in terms of support calculations. And so what your girlfriend who got mm -hmm. divorced two or three years ago, what her calculation may be, may right. be very different, right? Than what your calculation may be. So that's one. But two, mm -hmm. I think just the overall society's kind of expectation of at this point, everybody should be able in some way to be self-supporting. And yeah. so there was a time where, yes, even if you had been a stay-at-home parent, there was this expectation that you were automatically going to get a certain level of financial support, whether that's in, in Illinois, we call it maintenance, but in, in other states, it's spousal support or alimony. 
And then in addition to child support, but unfortunately now it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, I get it that you're a stay at home parent and you've been out of the workforce. However, you Mm -hmm. have the ability or you're able-bodied to contribute in some way. And so even if you're getting support, you might need to offset that support with other things. And so the idea of planning and thinking about these things ahead of time really, I think, can make the difference, especially when uh, the process gets really going, because the process in and of itself can be very overwhelming. Um, And so at least having some framework of, okay, here are some things that I need to start doing. You talked about debt um, Mm -hmm. and figuring out what do I need to do? Talk to me about the process now that it's, yep, we're going to do this. How did the two of you then move through the process? Meaning, did you have lawyers? Did you try to mediate? Because allocating things isn't always as simple as saying, I'm going to take this and you you take that. So how did you guys end up kind of going through and, and figuring out your process? Uh, it was very one-sided to okay. be perfectly honest with you. Um, my ex-husband told me, if you want a divorce, then you pay for it. Okay. He told me upfront, he was not going to be a willing participant. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, so it was one-sided. I had to, I felt like I jumped through a lot of hoops to get this divorce. To just get it done. <laughs> Um, and something within our marriage that actually bothered me turned out to be my saving grace to be able to get out of this marriage Okay, because we did not have any assets together. We had our marital home, yes, but because I had owned property prior to us getting married, when we, um, purchased another home. He, his name was on the loan, on the deed because it was a first time home buyer. I was not. Okay. We didn't have any credit cards together. We had one bank account, a checking account together because he wanted to do everything separately, which really bothered me while we were married because I thought, I don't need a roommate. And this is how you're <laughs> operating in this marriage, like a, a roommate. Right. But when it came down to it, I didn't have to go through trying to figure out what do we have to split? Do I have to buy you out? Are you buying me out? Okay. We didn't have anything together, Okay. which made it easier yep. to, to get this process done. The only thing that was really a concern of mine was really with the children as far as a parenting agreement, um, who was going to be the custodial parent. I think there was a point where I was concerned as to whether he would fight me for custody, but then I later realized that should not have been a concern of mine. (laughs) So, um, but it was very, like I said, it was one-sided because I had an attorney okay. um, and he did not. He okay. uh, And my divorce was actually done um, by default judgment. So, <laughs> so <laughs> let, me, an experience. 
Well, I was going to say that's an experience in and of itself, just for those who, who process wise, you know, just, I want to explain a couple of things, Mm -hmm. but first and foremost, I do want to say that I tell people all the time, your divorce goes as fast as the slowest person. Mm -hmm. And so you were saying, you know, it was one-sided and that in many ways can be very frustrating and problematic and can get expensive simply because when you have somebody who, as I'll kind of reference, has, you know, ostrich syndrome, so they're sticking their head in the sand, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to move things forward and it can be very expensive to do that. Now, it can also, depending on, you know, if the other, if, if that person is like, I'll sign whatever, then yeah, certainly, you know, it, it, it can kind of move through getting to though you having a default again, just for, for purpose of, of general reference, what that really means is that the other person didn't actively participate in the process and therefore the court can enter a default judgment. The good news, as you were talking about for you, is that you had non-marital, you know, property. There wasn't a host of things that needed to be allocated um, because otherwise, even with a default judgment, the the court can only enter the default um, really in limited fashion in some way because the, the, the other person who's been defaulted has the ability to then later challenge, but only up until a certain point. All that being said, your process though worked to your favor because he decided if this is what you want, then then go forth. It doesn't always though, you know, work that way. Um, but tell me, you said you were kind of worried about the kids and 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 one of those things. I'm sure there were a host of things that when you look back, right, that you're like, okay, I I would have been fine um, letting that go, right? How did you deal with some of those things though, right? Like how did you manage the stress and the anxiety of some of those things that keep us up at night? Yes. Um, You know, I had a circle of friends, only three. Okay. Three that... I was able to talk to one, like I said, had gone through a divorce. Um, The other had been married for like 20, almost 20 years and had contemplated divorce. Okay. You know, so I had a different perspective. And then the other had been divorced for at least several years when I was going through my process. They were my people. Okay. Um, they were the ones that I cried to, or that I asked, you know, for advice. Um, I didn't talk to very many people about what I was going through, except for those three women. Yep. Um, and so they helped me get through that process. And I also, I was in counseling because I needed to try to be, uh, to try to be whole for, not only my children, but myself, because I still had to go to work every day. You know, I just needed to be sane and functional <laughs> to be with you, you know, because during the the uh, the divorce process, we were still living in the same house. He would not leave. Okay. Okay. So that was stressful. Just trying to manage being in a house with someone 
that you don't want to be married. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, it, it was a lot. And so I don't think I could have gone through that process with having those people who really understood what I was going through. Yep. Um, because sometimes when you confide in the wrong people, they try to give you advice yes. based upon their limited knowledge or yes. experience. Yes. And sometimes that's not helpful. So nope. you do have to be very mindful about who you confide in. Um, because, you know, you it can, can make all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, um, it was just, I think they helped me get through that process much better than I would have been able to get through it. If I, if I weren't confiding in, okay, um, in anyone, and if I just kind of kept it all in, yep, um, because I am a very private person, okay, um, you know that that was actually hard for me to to confide in them, but they could see that there was something not right, sure, you know, in in my marriage. So, well, having a support system is huge, mm-hmm. um, and. I've talked about in a different podcast and then certainly um, in blog post about the importance of having the right people to support you through this process. And I'm not just talking about the therapist because that is its own component, but the other friends that you confide in, because you're right, it, it can be disastrous if you're confiding in someone who has no one, either frame of reference or mm-hmm. two, they are not in the space to be able to provide the type of support that is really needed. So I, I do say that one of the things that you really have to think about is, you know, who really is going to be my village in this moment, right? right. Um because you can find yourself, and I, I know many former clients and even girlfriends who really went down a path of destruction <laughs> because mm-hmm. they let other people kind of tell them and dictate, um, you know, a lot in both their relationship, but then also in the process. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is important that you keep your circle small and that you find, you know, those people to, to really support you in the way that you need that support. Mm-hmm. So with that, then mm-hmm. to the woman who's listening right now, yes. what do you tell her about going through the divorce that mm-hmm. either someone told you or mm-hmm. something that you wish someone had told you? Oh, I'm going to go with um, something that I wish someone would have told me. (laughs) And that is even after the divorce is final, I wish someone would have told me that there's a very um, good chance that you're going to be back in court with your ex, particularly if you have children. Sure. Um, Because there are, I mean, unless it's completely outlined, you know, in your divorce decree, or if you have 
um, an ex-spouse who does not abide by the divorce decree. You may find <laughs> yourself back in court. Yes. So be prepared for that. Um, unfortunately, um, and I and honestly, I wish um, that I would have listened to someone who told me a couple of years ago to just let it go, okay. like. There, there was a situation where I found myself back in court with my ex okay. and we've been divorced. It'll be nine years in wow. November. Wow. And we just had our last court date a few weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> because, um, yeah, because there was just something that I was just not going to let go. Okay. And that was as it relates to the education of my children and who's responsible. Yeah. You know, I just could not let that go. Um, but at the end of the day, when I think about it, I've spent the last now two years yes. back and forth, you know, with the pandemic, with court yes. and, and judges retiring, that process was completely at a, at a stalemate. Um, but Here's the thing. If you can afford to take care of your children, do it, just do it. <laughs> you know, if, if the other party does not want to contribute financially, yes. let it go. Because in the end, you're causing yourself more undue stress yeah. than is necessary. You're spending more money yes. if you're not going to do it yourself. And some of us, quite frankly, I wouldn't dare. I'm, I went to law school for one year. Right. <laughs> I right. wouldn't dare try to represent myself in a courtroom. I just wouldn't do that. Um, so I would say just be prepared that there is a possibility that you may find yourself back in court. Yes. But pick and choose your battles. Yeah. Honestly, pick and choose your battles. Some things just are not worth it. And I really do wish that I would have just let that go because you can't force a person to be responsible nope. for their children. You can't, you, you can't, you can't force anybody to do anything, but I, the thought often is, but the legal process can't, or the judge can, and yeah. I will be the first one to say you find yourself in many ways, then throwing good money after bad. And yeah. <laughs> I, do understand mm -hmm. that a part of all of us feels like on principle, right? Yeah. It, just on GP, you need to do what you need to do for your kids. If nothing else, I shouldn't have to be the one doing this. So judge make this happen. But the reality is that that cost time and money and emotional energy that is in many ways, sometimes just not worth it. That isn't at all to say that you, you know, you lay over, you, you lay down and roll over. Um, but it, it certainly is to your point of saying, you've got to pick and choose your battles. And, and you really sometimes have to just say, you know what, I'm going to just let it be. And, and it, it, because otherwise you do, you do end up in court, um, mm -hmm. for everything and anything. And if anybody has ever been through that process, 
will know that it is not the process that you want to, to be a part of and, and engage in. So I, I appreciate you really sharing that and saying, look, sometimes you just got to let it go because that's really something that I don't think that, that women, um, especially black women, we are not trying to let something go. Uh, you know, we are clear to be like, no, because we're yeah. not doing that today. Hello. Uh, but you know, that's a hard one for us, but it is, it is a lesson that I think in this process you do, you do mm-hmm. have to learn. So final, yeah. final kind of question to close out, I think on a high note, what's okay. the best thing that has happened to you since finalizing the divorce? Oh, ah, uh, the best thing. Well, I, I did, uh, I, I found out what true love is. Nice. That much. Um, <laughs> so that's probably the, the best thing is that I found um, at a point in time in my life, I did find someone who loved me and appreciated me um, and showed me what it's like to be treated yes. properly. Yes. So that's probably, had I not gotten a divorce, then I would not have been able to experience that. Look at that. See, look <laughs> at, look at, look at that. Well, you know, thank you so much for sharing. I am so honored in to be able to share these stories because so many of us are in situations where we're just not sure what to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's, really important to be able to be in a space where I can help people as they are navigating this, this process, think about, I'm not the only person that's been through this. There are perspectives, um, that, you know, should be shared about the divorce process, considering divorce, living, um, through a divorce and certainly life after divorce. So I thank you for, you know, sharing your experience and, and giving us some really good nuggets to, uh, to chew on, um, as you know, as people are, are in this space. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I, you know, it was an honor. So I hope that something that I shared will help, you know, your listeners. I really do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. Remember, though you may be going through a difficult time, you're grown and you got this. Please be sure to tell your girlfriends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Girl Divorce and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any new conversations. The conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute working directly with a lawyer. These episodes are not to be used as a basis to support or defend any legal action and transcripts or recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner.